podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 8th of December. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check them out at libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. How are we all today? Uh, Good game of football last night, folks. Brighton uh, played host to Southampton. Really even game that is once again the topic of discussion about VAR. And once again, David Coote is the man in the middle, the man making the decisions, the man getting decisions wrong. Um, As I say, really even game of football, similar amount of shots, similar amount of possession, similar amount of corner kicks, both sides playing decent football. Southampton, you know, get the win, but the big win for them is Danny Ings returning. As great as it is for them to get the three points, the big win for them is that Danny Ings is back on the field. And it is great, I think, for everybody that Danny Ings is back because when he got hurt against Aston Villa a few weeks back, it looked like a a season-ending injury. You could tell he feared it was a season-ending injury, but he... Back already, and he gets the winning goal. Southampton went one nil behind in this game. Uh, James Ward Prowse penalised for a handball, and Pascal Gross making no mistake from twelve yards. They got themselves back in the game right on the stroke of half time. Yannick Vestergaard with a powerful header, a really powerful header from about sixteen yards out, um, buried it in the top corner, and then they get the late win uh, with Ings from the penalty spot, and. When the when the foul initially happened, there's no question it was a foul. It was awarded as a free kick. Solly March on Kyle Walker-Peters. And it went to VAR, and they watched replay after replay after replay, and there was no definitive angle that showed whether or not it occurred inside the box or outside the box. So it didn't show a clear and obvious error. It didn't really show a reason for the referee to change his mind and give a penalty. But David Coote, being David Coote, the worst official in the Premier League, he gave a penalty. Danny Ng steps up, makes absolutely no mistake with a great penalty. But it's really unfair on Brighton. Very, very unfair. They deserved a point from this game. They matched Southampton stride for stride, pass for pass, shot for shot. And they, they didn't deserve to go home. Well, to, they were at home. They didn't deserve to, to come away from the game with nothing. Uh, but it's a big a big three points for Southampton. Pushes them up to fifth. Uh, they will be thrilled with their start to the season. They really will. Um, and they've got, you know, coming up... Uh, a favourable couple of games with a couple of difficult ones around them. They do have uh, Sheffield United up next. You'd imagine that will be three points. 
Then they go to Arsenal. That'll be a difficult game, but with Arsenal in the form they're in and the inconsistencies and the lack of creativity, you just don't know what Arsenal you're going to get. So they'll maybe be targeting a point. Then they go, then, then they have Man City at home. That's a tough game. Then they go to Fulham. Then they have West Ham at home and then they have Liverpool at home. That gets them through into the new year. So the next six games, Southampton really do have an opportunity to maintain their excellent start to the season. They'll have at least two games in there that they target as wins and potentially two that they target as draws um, with Arsenal and West Ham. Obviously, West Ham purely based on form. I think normally Southampton would expect to beat West Ham at home, but West Ham are in really good form. So maybe they'll mark that down as a draw. Expect to beat Sheffield United and Fulham. Um, And anything they get from the the City and Liverpool games will be big bonuses. Both of those games are at home, and they've caused both teams problems at St. Mary's over the last few years. So, you know, they're in such a good position. They have Ings back now. They're almost back to full complement. Once they get Salisu... 100% 100% fit and up to speed, and they can start bringing him into the group. They're going to be a dangerous team for, for anybody to face. Uh, one of the surprise packages of the early season, Ralph Hasenhutl doing a, a remarkable job there. Really, really great job. And showing that if you keep faith in a good manager, you'll get the rewards. Uh, and that's what they're getting, is they are getting the rewards of Ralph Hasenhutl. And what a good manager he is. Uh, For Brighton, they stay 16th. They go to Leicester next. Then they go to Fulham. Then they have Sheffield United at home. Then West Ham away. Arsenal at home. And then Wolves at home. While it's, I would say, a slightly easier run than, um, than Southampton's. There's still difficult games in there. And they're not as good as Southampton. The league table reflects that one is fifth, one is 16th. But for Brighton, it is a chance to pick up a couple of wins against teams in the relegation zone, pick, pick up a couple of points in those other games. They have tended to play well at home against good teams. So that Arsenal game, that's one they could look to win. Same thing with Wolves. Wolves have had a couple of really disappointing results this season. And if Brighton can pull off Three wins from the next six. They should really open up a bit of a gap on that group below them. Um, And we might get to Christmas time where it is very, very clearly one team is surviving from the bottom four. In which case, condolences to Sheffield United. It won't be you. Um, Yeah, like I say, all things considered, a good game of football, entertaining football by both teams. Yves Basima making a really good case that if a top-class team, a top-end team, rather, is looking for a versatile, aggressive, box-to-box bowl winner, he could be an option for them. He's a very, very good player. I kind of like the, the pairing of him and Ben White as a double pivot. White, obviously, more, more normally known as a centre-back. In that midfield role where he's just sort of sitting and dictating and protecting that defence, he, he may well be better suited. He may well be better suited. So maybe for Brighton, they should go and look for another centre-back in January. Maybe look to bring in a left footer so they can move Adam Webster across. 
They still need a left wing back. They still need a goal scorer. That's the the big thing for them is they need a goal scorer. The Danny Ings always runs so weird. He just looks really, really strange. He looks like a guy running in a swimming pool. Um, but you know, Brighton are in not in the position I'd hoped they'd be, not in the position I thought they'd be at this point, but doing okay and should be absolutely fine. Should be absolutely fine. Uh, big news that came out yesterday. Mino Rayola was giving an interview and uh, basically said, well, like he, he outright said, he said, Paul Pogba's time at Manchester United is over. Um, I've talked about this before. The Pogba deal has turned out to be pretty much a disaster for United. He's had one really good season there. They brought him in off the back of an excellent 2015-16 season at Juventus. Obviously, he was returning to the club, uh, having come through the the academy there. Well, well, say come through the academy. They stole him from Le Havre in 2009. He spent a couple of years in the academy, one year as a fringe first-team player, and then he went off to Juventus for four years. But they brought him back to the club in 2016. I think it's fair to say his 16-17 season was underwhelming, as was his 17-18 season. 18-19, he was excellent. Absolutely excellent. As an all-rounder, his goal tally was tremendous. 13 in the league, 16 in all competitions. He was dominating games. And it looked like he had finally stepped forward as the leader of that Manchester United uh, midfield. The leader of the team. Last season was a disaster between injuries and you know rumours that he wasn't actually injured and different things. Uh, he only managed 16 games in the league, one goal. And this season he has not played well. And they are better without him. They are objectively better when he is not on the pitch. He did score against West Ham. That's the goal that should have been disallowed because the ball went out of play from Dean Henderson's big hike down the line. But for Riola to come out and say this is... It's not unexpected. But if you're united, it has to be a bit of a hammer blow. I've said before, they only have a couple of options with Pogba. They let him run down his contract. He's got one year left. Contract expires in 2022. So he's got 18 months left, you can say. Um, that was because they triggered the, the add-on year. This coming summer, 2021, would have been his free agent summer. But they triggered the add-on, pushed it to, for another year. So they can try and hang on to him and let him run down his contract. but. They paid $89 million. He's on somewhere in the region of 350000 a week, which is $17.5 million a year. So immediately you're looking at another $85 million in wages they'll have paid him by the end of this season. It's over $100 million if he goes into next season. It's $102.5 million if he goes into next season. So he could run down that contract and United, including agent fees and bonuses and everything, they'll be out over two hundred million on the entire deal. Eighty-nine million fee, a hundred and two million in wages, twenty-five, thirty million in agent fees plus bonuses. Really, really would not be a smart business decision. They can sell him if they can find a buyer, but what's his value? With 18 months left on his deal, 60 million? 
based on the last year and a half, based on the fact that in his four and a half years at United, he's had one good season, based on the fact that everybody knows he wants out now, so their leverage and their negotiating position has been torn to shreds by Mino, would they get $60 million for him? And who would they get it from? There's been a lot of talk about Juventus. Juventus are in a, a lot of financial trouble. If they can find the money, they'll probably try and do it. United may be open to taking back a couple of players. There's been some talk about Dybala. I don't see that one happening. I think United would have to throw in a considerable amount of cash. If you bring in Dybala, what are you doing to Mason Greenwood's future? I mean, Dybala is, of course, a better player than Greenwood now, but you are blocking the path of the most promising player to come through your academy in quite a while. As, as much as I like Marcus Rashford, Greenwood is a more talented player. Um, Dybala is also not a, a tremendous fit in how United play. They could use him maybe as a false nine. Then you block Martial's path. He spent all the last year telling us how great he was, how he was developing into one of the best number nines in the world. So you, but you could do that. And, and Dybala as a false nine with Greenwood and Rashford either side or Rashford and, and Martial either side and then Bruno behind. I mean, that could work really well. I don't know if it will work really well under Oli, but it could work really well. You'd still have your issues in midfield and defence, but they're there anyway. Aaron Ramsey, would United have any interest in him? I don't think they would. Um, obviously, United already have Bruno and Donny van der Beek as attacking midfielders, plus the likes of Mata, the likes of Jesse Lingard. They have a load of attacking midfielders. I don't think they need to bring in any more. Could United maybe push to try and get someone like Rodrigo Bentancourt? In exchange, he's probably the one who would lose out if Pogba went to Juve. I think Rabiot is, is nailed on to stay as a starter. They have Artur. They have Weston McKinney. If United could somehow get Bentoncourt and a little bit of cash, that could be a great deal for them. Bentoncourt is fantastic. He's exactly what United need in midfield. If they could pull off Bentoncourt and say 10 to 15 million, I think United win that transfer all day. If they could pull off Bentoncourt and Mary Demerel, now I don't know if don't know if Juve would let Mary Demerel go, but if they could somehow bully Juve into that, that would be a hell of a deal. No cash involved, just the two players for one. But Bentoncourt is the one they should target. If they can somehow get Bentoncourt into a deal for Pogba, do it, 100%. You're looking at major clubs. No, Obviously, no smaller club is going to look at Paul Pogba and think, oh, yeah, we have a chance there. You've got to factor in the fee, plus he's going to want ridiculous wages, probably half a million a week. So you've got Juve, maybe Inter Milan. Could Inter be a team? That show interest. They've done business with United recently. Um, Alexis Sanchez, Ashley Young. 
there's a couple of players there that United could maybe target. Obviously, Christian Eriksen's been mentioned. That one would be silly. They already have, like I said, a bunch of attacking midfielders. But if they could maybe get Brozovic or Nicolo Barea in that deal, Barella, um, Brozovic would probably be the best fit as a holding midfielder, which is something United desperately need. If they could get him in a bag of money, that would be a really good deal. Uh, AC Milan won't have the funds to do it. In Spain, there's only the big two, and I don't see either of them being in a financial position to do it. Real are broke. They would love him, but they're broke. Barca don't have the finances at the moment. Bayern wouldn't have any interest, and there's nobody else in the Bundesliga. The only two... Well, Chelsea... I mean, Chelsea always love a star, but I, I just I don't see it. United wouldn't sell to City, and I don't know if City would want him. Liverpool wouldn't want him. Spurs wouldn't want him because Mourinho didn't, didn't think much of him at all. So PSG would be the only other club that could maybe be an option. And PSG would be silly enough to spend maybe over and above what he's actually worth. You could push PSG to 75 million maybe. Um, you look at their squad, there's not a whole lot that United would really be keen on, I don't think. Abdou Diallo, maybe they've they've talked about wanting a left-footed centre-back. Abdou Diallo would be a really good addition. He's a very good defender. Um, Tilo Carrere, who's, who's a right-footed centre-back, but he's a pacey centre-back. If they could maybe pull off a deal where they could get one of them and cash, that could work very well. But there aren't many options, is what I'm is the point I'm trying to make. There aren't many options around Europe. I think realistically there's only two. There's Juventus and there's PSG. Juventus don't have the money to do it, but maybe you could pull off a deal where you, you get Bentoncourt, who's much more suited to how United play, much more suited to the Premier League as well. And you know, PSG will be the other one who've just got endless resources. Endless resources. And they might quite like to put him in a team with with Neymar and Mbappe and Verratti and Marquinhos and Icardi and Di Maria. You know, and they've done that that they've done deals before together. So there's a possibility there that you can you can do a deal. But that's option two. And option three then is that you try and extend his contract. But he's going to want a big pay rise, and it's a pay rise he'll never play up to like he hasn't played up to the current contract he's definitely not going to play up to any future contracts so either way United are in a bad situation with Pogba either lose him for free and you're out like I say over 200 million you sell him and hope you can get as much as possible I I don't know what that figure would be I, I don't see that anyone would realistically pay over with PSG involved over 70 million I don't think anyone's paying over that. And again, you're still losing out on a ton of money that you've invested in that player. Or you re-sign him. And I think that's the worst option of the three, as, as strange as it sounds. I think you have to try and sell him in January. I think he'll become disruptive. I think he'll become a distraction. And then you're left with a choice of, do you just tell him to stay at home and pay him not to play? Um, and then everybody knows that the proverbial has hit the fan and um, you get even less 
come the summer. And in the summer, he'll only have 12 months left. So I think they have to look to sell him this January and try and reinvest that money somehow. Not ideal. Mino doing Mino things. This is what Mino Riola does, and this is why players love him as an agent. He is, for the player, he is great. He represents their best interests and gets gets them the best deal possible. There is no Mino Riola player going hungry. They are earning big, big bucks. But for clubs, he must be an absolute nightmare to deal with. Because he's so unpredictable. He is so volatile. And it's a shame for United because there's players represented by him that you would imagine they would like. I mean, they've dealt with him for a number of years now. He's Mkhitaryan's agent. He's Zlatan's agent, or at least he well, still is Zlatan's agent. Um, but he's just he's just difficult to deal with. When you look at the players he represents, Erling Haaland, I think United might like him. Matthias De Ligt, again, you'd very much like to have him. Marco Verratti, Gianluigi Donnarumma, Marcus Turam, Alessio Ramagnoli, Herving Lozano, Costas Manolas. Now, these are all players that will start for United. Um, you know, younger players like Daniel Malin, Calvin Stengs, Myron Badu, Mohamed Ihatarian. These are all players that United might have eyes on for the long term. And they're all players that Ryan Gravenberch as well. These are all players United would love to have long term, but probably won't touch because I don't think they're going to want to do business with this man again. Not the best situation for United. Not the best situation at all. And hopefully they can find a quick resolution. Like I say, I would ring Juventus. I would proactively ring Juventus and say, look, we want Benton Kerr. You want Pogba. We know you want Pogba. Let's figure out a deal where we swap players and you give us X amount of money. Start at 20 million and work your way down. You know, go in a little bit high. See what they come back with. If you go in with 20, they might offer five. You'll get 10. And 10 is, 10 is fair. It is fair. Um, Benton Kerr is really, really good. Really, really good. He will transform your team if you add him in midfield. 23 years of age. Ball winner. Dominant player. Physical specimen. Goes box to box. Covers ground like it's running out of fashion. Doesn't have a weakness to his game. We could add more goals, but that's not what you want him in your team for. Good passer of the ball. Reads the game really, really well. Clever positioning. Exactly what United need at the base of that midfield. You put him and Fred together in midfield, and that gives a platform for Bruno to play off. You can then look to upgrade Fred um, in in the summer or whenever, but they could find a way to get Rodrigo Banting for Paul Pogba it would just be a massive upgrade for them not as a as a as a talent there's no question Paul Pogba as a talent is world class but as a footballer he's not because he's never proven it he's had one borderline world class season that was his last year at Juve one really really good season with United but he's never proven himself to be a world class footballer and he's never had consistent back-to-back excellent years 
Bentoncourt, I, I don't think, has world-class level talent, but he can be very, very, very good every single year. And that's what you need. You've got match winners in Bruno, in Marcus Rashford, in Greenwood, in Martial. Get yourself, lads, who don't allow you to lose matches. That's what you need next. That's why Liverpool are so good. They've got match winners, and then they've got lads who don't allow them to lose games. Like Fabinho. Like Joel Matip. Like Andy Robertson. Like Ginny Wijnaldum. Like Jordan Henderson. They don't allow Liverpool to, to lose matches. They don't win them games. Andy Robertson might the odd time. But they don't win Liverpool games, but they stop them from losing games. United's issue is they don't have enough lads who stop them from losing games. Benton Kerr could be one. Um, when I started this podcast um, months ago now, where I think today is episode 80, uh, one of the things I, I didn't want to do was I didn't want to swear on this podcast because uh, for those that have ever listened to me on Anfield Index, I'm, I'm, I, I'm quite liberal with my use of swear words. And I thought, doing this one, I'd rather not. It's a different audience in part. Um, I also know that there's times my mother stumbles across this podcast and listens to it. Uh, my best friend's dad listens to it. So I didn't want to shock them too much uh, with, with bad language. So I, th- I said to myself, I'm not going to swear. I said it to, to the guys that, that run EPL Index. I'm, I'm going to try my best to hold my tongue. And uh, So far, I have managed it. There's been times that I've come very, very close. Uh, there's been once or twice maybe that guy has had to edit things out and today i'm really close i have to say and i've tried to bury this a little bit deeper into the show rather than lead off the show with it because i think if i'd let it would have been swearing and me and guy would have had to become creative with repiecing the show together but at the weekend millwall played host to derby county and this is not premier league related but you'll please allow me a couple of minutes on this Millwall played host to Derby County, and Derby County's players and Millwall's players took a knee. And this has been going on since football restarted. It's been going on in many other sports, American football, basketball, baseball, um, even in rugby. It's been going on across the world. It's part of the Black Lives Matter movement. That's unquestionable. In in England and in, in football, they've tried to reframe it, reframe it as no room for racism because some people are uncomfortable with the, the political side of Black Lives Matter and what it has become. Uh, others are buying into the notion that it's a Marxist movement forcing socialism down their throats and they can't accept that in their lives. All drivel that's come from Donald Trump and people who support Donald Trump. No room for racism takes that away and just makes it about what it's about. It is about showing solidarity and making the point that black lives do matter. And Millwall fans responded by booing. Now, my own personal belief is that the players should have gotten up and walked off the field. 
and refused to play the game until those people were taken out of the stadium. To their credit, they didn't. Um, Colin Kazim Richards stood, held his fist in the air, similar to that famous poster from the Olympics. Um, Millwall have black players. And I, I don't know what it would be like to be a black... I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a black person in today's society. How, in 2020, we still are in this position, I just don't know. But I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a black player playing for Millwall. Knowing that fans have booed something like that. Millwall are playing QPR next, and they have pandered to the people who booed by agreeing with QPR not to take a knee, and instead they're going to link arms. Now, there's been some reports that some of the QPR players have said, we don't care what you've agreed at club level, we are taking a knee. I hope all the players take a knee. I really do. Um, I, I just I cannot wrap my head around what kind of mindset you would have to be to boo such a thing. Do you think there is room for racism? Do you think racism is acceptable in society and in the game? Ah. Uh, I really haven't struggled with this since it happened at the weekend. I didn't want to touch it yesterday because there was still a lot of discussion going on. But I can't understand how anybody can get in a room after that and say, you know what, let's pander to them. Let's all link arms and sing Kumbaya. You're giving in to them. You're allowing them to win. Take a knee and do it continually until they realize, get on board or get out. Thankfully, we've seen a number of football clubs come out in support of No Room for Racism, in support for, for taking a knee and say, we're going to keep doing it. And that's just it. If you don't like it, don't come to the games. Tough. Darren Lewis, who is, I believe, an assistant editor um, and a longtime journalist at the the Daily Mail, uh, Daily Mirror, rather. Sorry, Darren, not the Daily Mail, the Daily Mirror, uh, wrote a very, very good article uh, yesterday that I I think is worth a read. If you if you check out his uh, Twitter profile, it's at Mirror Darren, and you'll find the article. It's it's entitled. Worried Millwall Chiefs persuade players to ditch knee and link arms. What are they worried about? That the racist fans might not come to games anymore? Is that what you're worried about? Like, There's a lot of reasons to dislike Millwall, and my God, they make it easy to dislike them. Um, the chairman of Colchester, Robbie Cowling, all credit to him, has come out and said, if you feel like you can't cope with our players taking the knee, come see me and I'll give you the rest of your season ticket money back and that's what I want to see from more and more clubs I really want to see this from more and more clubs 
If you don't like it, don't go to the game. Go and do something else. Why are we pandering to these people in 2020? Millwall fans were like this in the 80s. They're still like this now. Everybody else has moved on. There's a reason they still are who they are. And look, it's the only thing that makes that club relevant. The only thing that makes Millwall Football Club relevant is talking about how horrible a large portion of their fan base is. Because from a footballing point of view, they're garbage. They're never going to make the Premier League. They're, they'll swim around at the bottom of the championship like pond scum, just lingering on top of the relegation zone, never quite sinking down. There's a lot of reasons to dislike Millwall, and my God, this is right up there with the best of them. Um, we're going to wrap up with some uh, transfer gossip, which is always nice. Uh, Jesse Lingard's representatives are exploring loan moves for the Manchester United and England midfielder in January. With Real Sociedad, one of the clubs they've held initial talks with. Yeah, Real Sociedad, I think, what might be a bit too good for Jesse Lingard, unfortunately, um, as they push for Champions League football. But Jesse Lingard is a decent player who could do a good job for a number of clubs. Talked about two tonight. He could do a decent job for Southampton. Do a decent job for Brighton. He's a decent player. But he needs to find his level and not try and overshoot. Um, Arsenal's out of mid- out of favour German midfielder Mesut Ozil is 90% certain to join Fenerbahce next month according to one of the side's Congress members. I assume that's a board member. I assume that's what that is. Um... Yeah, I mean, look, he needs to he needs to get away from from Arsenal, that's for sure. Uh, hilariously, they badly need him in their team. The lack of creativity is incredible. But um, yeah, I'd, I hope he I hope he does move on. I assume if he does, Arsenal are paying off the rest of his contract and letting him go on a free. Did see a very funny interaction between him and Piers Morgan, where Piers Morgan, in an attempt to describe um, Mesut Ozil, actually described himself overpaid or paying Piers Morgan any money for his views would be overpaying him uh, underperforming uh, good morning Britain's ratings are in the toilet and full of his own self-importance and uh, well it is Piers Morgan so you know it, it, it kind of writes itself doesn't it uh, Chelsea boss Frank Lampard says he's under no pressure to sell 71 million uh, Spain goalkeeper Kepa um, I wouldn't imagine he is because he didn't buy him and Roman has, you know, big suitcases of money. And I'd also imagine Chelsea are a little bit embarrassed by the whole thing and know that when they sell him, they are going to lose their backsides on it. And uh, they're probably just trying to hold that off. He's got a seven-year contract or whatever. So he's got years and years left. Loan him out for a couple of years and let's see if he can rebuild his value. Uh, Manchester United could turn to Real Madrid's Spain wingback Lucas Vasquez as they seek competition for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. This is nonsense, but his agents put this in the paper. Nonsense. He's not a wing-back, he's a winger, and he's not a very good one. Uh, he's certainly not a wing-back, and if he was a wing-back, he wouldn't suit United, who don't play with wing-backs. If they want someone to be competition for Wan-Bissaka, and they want someone attack-minded, go and buy Max Aaron's. Um, West Brom boss Slavon Bilic's future at the club is in doubt. 
after six points from the opening 11 games. Do you think? You think his future might be in doubt? They can't stop conceding goals. They don't score enough. They capitulated against Crystal Palace. They've got six points from 11 games. You think his future might be in might be in doubt? I wouldn't say he's the only one at that end of the table. Let's say that. Uh, Manchester United are keen to allow Sergio Romero to leave next month and will sell if their £2 million asking price is met, although a loan move could transpire. He's out of contract next summer. If you're going to give him a loan move, just release him. Oh, I hate this. He was Argentina's number one. He signed there. He's barely played. He doesn't even get in their squad anymore. He doesn't get in United's match day squad. He's not registered uh, to play in any competition. They've just spoiled that man's career. Um, not 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 the club's fault at all, but his career has been spoiled. His agents have a lot to blame on this. He's represented by the same people who represent Gareth Bale and others. Uh, so another massive agency, and they need to do a better job with him. Um, Chelsea and Scotland midfielder Billy Gilmore does, says he does not know what the future holds following his return from injury and the new signings the Blues have made. Yeah, I mean, this is the downside of a club like Chelsea signing a, a lot of players in the summer, is that a young player like Billy Gilmore, who's obviously very, very talented, uh, finds his path blocked. We've seen it for Chelsea in the past. We're seeing it at the moment with Callum Hudson-Odoi, but you look at Ruben Loftus-Cheek, the same thing happened to him. Uh, Chalaba happened to him as well. So it, it is... It's just a little bit unfortunate. Um, you would hope that if Gilmore is going to leave, it happens sooner rather than later because one of the issues with a lot of the talented young homegrown players that have come through at Chelsea over the last few years is they get a loan out and then they stay in the squad for a year and then they go on loan again and, they, stay, and they, don't, they never progress. They never get any real stability in their careers and it does massively hamper their development. Um, if If... He's got a couple of options, obviously. He could run down his contract. Um, it's not it's not ideal for a young player to start getting into that kind of mentality. He could push for a move and see if Chelsea would be willing to sell him. You'd imagine there'd be some clubs interested. He's got three years left on his deal. Um, so, I mean, running down his deal is going to take a long time, but he would only be 22 by then. Um, he could push for a transfer. He could offer to sign, say, a year's contract extension and then maybe ask for a two-year loan where he goes somewhere, has that stability, gets to play regularly. I think that might be his best option. He's also represented by the same group that represent Sergio Romero, Stellar Football Limited. Um, Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal are being linked with AC Milan's Ivory Coast Midfielder Frank Kessie, who is valued at forty-five million, and whose current contract is due to expire in twenty twenty-two. I'm curious as to who values Frank Kessie at forty-five million. Um, it's a bizarre fee for a player who's he's good, but he's not. He's not forty-five million worth. Um, Arsenal bought Thomas Partey for not much more than that, and he's much better than him. Just buy Zambo and Geese if you want that type of player. He'll cost less than that. He's better than him. Um, Liverpool hope to sign, hope to start negotiations with Brazilian defensive midfielder Fabinho over a new contract. 
cracked soon. Uh, this is from the Guardian. It's from uh, the spoofer himself. Um, he's just having a guess here. The, you know, that's just what he does. Uh, I'd imagine there will be, but he has no inside information on that. Dutchman Jethro Williams has rejected the offer of a new contract at Eintracht Frankfurt, handing Newcastle the chance to sign the 26-year-old left-back who had a spell with the Magpies last term. He's a good player, and he would be good competition on the left for Jamal Lewis. You could play the two of them together, um, because Williams could play as a winger if you need him to. I think Lewis could probably play the left-hand side of a back three if you wanted to try that as well, even though he's a little bit lightweight. I do think he's got the frame to to build up a bit. And he's, he is a strong player, and he's a good defensive player. So, yeah, it would be a good signing for, for Newcastle. If they get him on the cheaper, they get him free. You can't argue with it. Moroccan left-back Ashraf Lazar could leave Newcastle with his contract running out in the summer. He It would be him out and Williams in. That would be, would be smart. And finally, on Newcastle, they are aiming to return to their Benton training base on Tuesday, that is this morning, as they look to resume training after last week's COVID-19 crisis caused the postponement of their match with Aston Villa. They hope their fixture with West Brom will take place as scheduled this coming weekend. Uh, Yeah, important that they do get their games back on track because you don't want them to start falling behind and ending up, you know, in the relegation mix, but with games in hand and those games in hand all of a sudden having quite a bit of pressure on them. That game is due to take place Saturday at 3 p.m. You would imagine that at this early point, if it needed to be moved to Sunday, it could. West Brom are due to play on Tuesday night, though, so that could make that difficult. Uh, Toon aren't uh, fixtured again until Wednesday evening at 6. So, yeah, um, hopefully that game goes ahead. I, I really hope it does because, you know, we want to get a full slate. We want to get the season completed if we can rather than having to go through another bout of cancellations and lockdowns and whatever else. Uh, good news on the vaccine front. Um, a 90-year-old woman was given the vaccination today in the UK, so at least that is starting and going in the right direction. Uh, hopefully we see an end to this COVID pandemic in the next few months. Um, that would, I think, be a very nice way to start 2021 because I don't think any of us want to go through 2020 too quickly again. And that is it, folks. That is the show for today. Thank you very much to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Hunt, And most importantly, thank you to you for listening each and every day. I will be back tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.